Let me tell you a story, podcast number 102. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Call me Ishmael. It was the age of wisdom. Some years ago. It was the age of Never mind it is a truth how long we You don't know about me without you. Welcome to Let Me Tell You a Story with your hosts, Steve and Becky Lyles. Settle back into your seat, step onto your favorite fitness machine, or lace up your walking shoes, and enjoy stories from a variety of genres and authors. Hi, this is Steve. Hi, this is Becky. Welcome to Let Me Tell You a Story. For this podcast, Steve will be reading a short story by Harry Stilwell Edwards, published in 1885, entitled Elder Brown's... (laughs) Elder Brown's Backslide, plus a Roger Pond humorous essay. I'll read chapter 33 of Winds of Wyoming, which has 35 chapters. Won't be long before we bid farewell to my first novel and move on to other stories, including a hint as to where my next series is headed. I'm going to read just the first section of Elder Brown's backslide. (laughs) You know, (laughs) in reading this, um, just can't help but think of the similar word, Elder Brown's backside. (laughs) But maybe that would be the, uh, let's see, Plumber Brown's backside. (laughs) But in that case, I suppose it'd be two sections with a break in the middle. Anyway. Here's (laughs) Here's <laughs> Here's section 1. Elder Brown told his wife goodbye at the farmhouse door as mechanically as though his proposed trip to Macon 10 miles away was an everyday affair. While as a matter of fact many years had elapsed since unaccompanied he'd set foot in the city. He did not kiss her. Many very good men never kiss their wives. But small blame attaches to the elder for his omission on this occasion since his wife had long ago discouraged all amorous demonstrations on the part of her liege lord, and at this particular moment was filling the parting moments with a rattling list of directions concerning thread, buttons, hooks, needles, and all the many etceteras of an industrious housewife's basket. The elder was laboriously assorting these postscript commissions in his memory, well knowing that to return with any one of them neglected would cause trouble in the family circle. Elder Brown mounted his patient steed that stood sleepily motionless in the warm sunlight, with his great pointed ears displaying to the right and left, as though their owner had grown tired of the life burden their weight inflicted upon him, and was, old soldier fashion, ready to forego the once rigid alertness of early training for the pleasures of frequent rest on arms. And Elder, don't you forget them caliker scraps, or you'll be wantin' kiver soon, and no kiver will be a-comin'. Elder Brown did not turn his head, but merely let the whip-hand, which had been checked in its backward motion, fall as he answered mechanically. The beast he bestrode responded with a rapid whisking of its tail and a great show of effort as it ambled off down the sandy road, the rider's long legs seeming now and then to touch the ground. But as the zigzag panels of the rail fence crept behind him, and he felt the freedom of the morning beginning to act upon his well-trained blood. 
The mechanical manner of the old man's mind gave place to a mild exuberance. A weight seemed to be lifting from it, ounce by ounce as the fence panels, the weedy corners, the persimmon sprouts and sassafras bushes crept away behind him, so that by the time a mile lay between him and the life partner of his joys and sorrows, he was in a reasonably contented frame of mind, and still improving. It was a queer figure that crept along the road that cheery May morning. It was tall and gaunt, and had been for thirty years or more. The long head, bald on top, covered behind with iron-gray hair, and in front, with a short, tangled growth that curled and kinked in every direction, was surmounted by an old-fashioned stovepipe hat, worn and stained, but eminently impressive. An old-fashioned Henry Clay cloth coat, stained and threadbare, divided itself impartially over the donkey's back and dangled on his sides. This was all that remained of the elder's wedding suit of forty years ago. Only constant care and use of late years limited to extra occasions had preserved it so long. The trousers had soon parted company with their friends. The substitutes were red jeans, which, while they did not well match his court costume, were better able to withstand the old man's abuse. For if, in addition to his frequent religious excursions astride his beast, there ever was a man who was fond of sitting down with his feet higher than his head, it was this self-same Elder Brown. The morning expanded, and the old man expanded with it, for while a vigorous leader in his church, the elder at home was, it must be admitted, an uncomplaining slave. To the intense astonishment of the beast he rode, there came new vigor into the wax which fell upon his flanks, and the beast allowed astonishment to surprise him into real life and decided motion. Somewhere in the elder's expanding soul a tune had begun to ring. Possibly he took up the far, faint tune that came from the straggling gang of slaves away off in the field, as they slowly chopped amid the thread-like rows of cotton plants which lined the level ground. For the melody he hummed softly and then sang strongly, in the quavering, catchy tones of a good old country churchman, was, I'm glad salvation's free. It was during the singing of this hymn that Elder Brown's regular motion-inspiring strokes were for the first time varied. He began to hold his hickory up at certain pauses in the melody and beat the changes upon the sides of his astonished steed. The chorus under this arrangement was, I'm glad salvation's free. I'm glad salvation's free. I'm glad salvation's free for all. I'm glad salvation's free. Wherever there is an italic, or an emphasis, the hickory descended. It fell about as regularly and after the fashion of the stick beating upon the bass drum during a funeral march. But the beast, although convinced that something serious was impending, did not consider a funeral march appropriate for the occasion. He protested at first with vigorous whiskings of his tail and a rapid shifting of his ears. Finding these demonstrations unavailing, and convinced that some urgent cause for a hurry had suddenly invaded the elder's serenity, as it had his own. He began to cover the ground with frantic leaps that would have surprised his owner could he have realized what was going on. But Elder Brown's eyes were half-closed, and he was singing at the top of his voice, lost in a trance of divine exaltation, for he had felt the effects of the invigorating motion bent only on making the air ring with the lines which he dimly imagined were drawing upon him the eyes of the whole female congregation. 
he was supremely unconscious that his beast was hurrying. And thus the excursion proceeded until suddenly a shote, surprised in his calm search for roots in a fence corner, darted into the road and stood for an instant gazing upon the newcomers with that idiotic stare which only a pig can imitate. The sudden appearance of this unlooked-for apparition acted strongly upon the donkey. With one supreme effort, he collected himself into a motionless mass of manner, bracing his front legs wide apart. That is to say, he stopped short. There he stood, returning the pig's idiotic stare with an interest which must have led to the presumption that never before in all his varied life had he seen such a singular little creature. End over end went the man of prayer, finally bringing up full length in the sand, striking just as he should have shouted, free, for the fourth time in his glorious chorus. Fully convinced that his alarm had been well-founded, the shote sped out from under the gigantic missile hurled at him by the donkey and scampered down the road, turning first one ear and then the other to detect any sounds of pursuit. The donkey, also convinced that the object before which he had halted was supernatural, started back violently upon seeing it apparently turn to a man. But seeing that it had turned to nothing but a man, he wandered up to the deserted fence corner and began to nibble refreshment from a scrub oak. For a moment the elder gazed up into the sky, half impressed with the idea the camp-meeting platform had given way. But the truth forced its way to the front in his disordered understanding at last, and with painful dignity he staggered into an upright position and regained his beaver. He was shocked again. Never before in all the long years it had served him had he seen it in such shape. The truth is, Elder Brown had never before tried to stand on his head in it. As calmly as possible, he began to straighten it out, caring but little for the dust upon his garments. The beaver was his special crown of dignity. To lose it was to be reduced to a level with the common wool hat herd. He did his best, pulling, pressing, and pushing. But the hat did not look natural when he had finished. It seemed to have been laid off into counties, sections, and town lots. Like a well-cut jewel, it had a face for him. View it from whatever point he chose, a quality which so impressed him that a lump gathered in his throat and his eyes winked vigorously. Elder Brown was not, however, a man for tears. He was a man of action. The sudden vision which met his wandering gaze, the donkey calmly chewing scrub buds, with the green juice already oozing from the corners of his frothy mouth, acted upon him like magic. He was, after all, only human, and when he got hands upon a piece of brush, he thrashed the poor beast until it seemed as though even its already half-tanned hide would be eternally ruined. Thoroughly exhausted at last, he wearily straddled his saddle, and with his chin upon his breast resumed the early morning tenor of his way. Winds of Wyoming, Chapter 33 Kate turned in time to see Tara climb onto the end of the truck bed. The frenzied woman got to her feet and stomped toward Kate, fingers extended as she could already feel her nails digging into her throat. 
Jackson threw his guitar aside and grabbed her arm. Monty jumped up from behind the drums to seize her by the other arm. Mike yanked his guitar strap over his head and rushed to join the struggling trio. Don't let her fool you, Tara kicked and screamed. The rotten thief stole over $6,000 from the Whispering Pines office. Arrest her. Mike did an about face. Swiveling on her crutch, Kate turned from Tara to Mike, who snatched his microphone from the stand. Holding it close to his mouth, he stabbed a finger at Tara, emphasizing the words that boomed between the buildings. Other than the sheriff's department, only two people. He thrust two fingers into the air. Only two people knew the amount of cash stolen from our ranch. Until this moment. Tara gaped at him before frantically searching the faces of the spectators. Daddy? A tall man at the back of the crowd raised his hands. Don't involve me in your craziness. I told you to stay away from the Duncan Ranch. But, Daddy, you and Daryl were... Mike shouted into the microphone. Get him, Clint! Kate twisted in time to see Daryl race across the parking lot toward a fence. Clint and a deputy followed, scrambling over the pickets right behind him. Mikey, darling, please! Kate pivoted toward Tara, who was pleading in a little girl voice. Make them let me go. They have the wrong woman. As much as she disliked Tara Hughes, seeing her grovel was almost more than she could bear. Please, Tara begged, help me. You're so far gone, Hughes. Mike brought the microphone closer to his mouth. Nobody can help you but God. Go to hell, she spat at him, kicking and fighting against her captors. Two policemen climbed onto the truck bed. We'll take her from here. Tara sneered and swore, her mascarine glare drilling Kate with a depth of abhorrence she'd never before experienced, not even from her worst enemy in prison. I hate you, you slut! Tara kicked one of the officers in the kneecap, but Kate was the obvious object of her fury. Two sheriff's deputies jumped onto the truck bed. Apprehending Tara required the efforts of all four officers, but eventually they removed the flailing, cursing woman from the float minus a boot, and escorted her to the nearby jail. Legs trembling, Kate fell into her chair, grateful she had somewhere to sit. All was quiet for a long moment. Then someone clapped. Others joined, and the applause grew until she was circled by cheering, grinning onlookers. Wanda knelt next to Kate. You okay? Kate nodded, unable to speak. Chuck stepped onto the truck's running board. Let's all sing This Land is Your Land for Kate Nielsen. He slid inside the cab, and the truck began to move again. The band played with a fresh exuberance, and a giddy group of Highway Haven friends followed, dancing, singing, and clapping with Dimple, who threw kisses to Kate between twirls. Kate smiled and vowed to rub her friends' feet when they got home. Huge smiles spread across every face she saw including that of the waitress from Grandma's Café and Cyrus, whose wrinkled cheeks were puckered in a lopsided grin. She glanced at Mike. He looked away. Blinking back tears, Kate acknowledged that his indifference hurt, but in the long run, it didn't matter what he thought of her. She'd done what she had to do, what God wanted her to do. Yes, this land, this beautiful land, the land of the brave and the free, was her land, too. Maybe Dimple was right. 
She was a statue, a statue of liberty. Ramsay released the blinds. Why hadn't Tara told him about the money? Could be she used it to buy that rock on her finger. Duncan obviously didn't give a plugged nickel for her. And her dad, he hadn't stood by her. Wasn't that what fathers were supposed to do? Stand by their kids? Maybe it's good he never had one. He wrenched open the drawer where Tara had dropped her purse. What about their partnership? And she said they couldn't be partners if he was in jail. Now she was in jail. He dropped the purse on the desk and opened it. Stupid broad. That was a fool thing to do. Good thing he wasn't stuck with her. Too bad he hadn't had a chance to slip the ring off her finger. He removed the cash and credit cards and tossed the purse aside. He itched to take the keys to the Humvee. But the big yellow box was too obvious and ate too much gas. Back to plan A. Nielsen was the woman he really wanted. The tramp who belonged with him. Maybe God, if there was a God, which there wasn't, had forgiven her for killing his child, but he hadn't. She was his, and she would pay for her crimes against him. Crutches under her arms, Kate floated from one friendly face to the next, receiving hug after hug and more welcome to the valley greetings than she could count. Laura stayed at her side, but Dimple flitted through the crowd, bringing her friends, including Sheriff Gilmer, to meet Kate. When he left, Dimple nudged Kate. You're about to become a free woman. He says it could take a few weeks, but he'll look into your case and clear up this mess. Kate hugged her. Thank you, Dimple. Don't thank me, Dimple pointed upward. Thank him. As she hobbled off, Cyrus and Clint appeared with the young woman Kate had seen earlier. Hi, Cyrus. Kate extended her hand, wondering if he'd take it. It's good to see you again. He grabbed her hand with a surprisingly firm grip. I have to say, Miss Kate, that was a brave speech you made. Still holding her hand, he added, I owe you an apology and a thank you. He looked at Laura. I already apologized to Mrs. D for taking off without an explanation. Laura smiled. I like having the old Cyrus back, that happy-go-lucky guy I remember from the WP's early days. Kate cocked her head. What's this about? He released her hand and peered at her, his eyelids crinkling the way she remembered. I didn't treat you right. You look too much like my daughter here, Susan. Kate and Susan eyed each other. Kate saw a vague similarity, slender build, shoulder-length brown hair, dark eyes. Susan and I hadn't talked for some time, years, really. My fault. Susan touched her dad's shoulder. It's true. He offered her a sad smile. I was a terrible father after your mom died. An old grump to everyone else. But thanks to you, he shook a finger at Kate, I couldn't tolerate myself any longer. Headed off to California to find my daughter. Kate, meet Susan. Susan, meet Kate. I'm so pleased to know you. Kate shook Susan's hand. Will you be staying long? I'm only here for the holiday weekend, Susan said. Half dancing, half shuffling, Dimple approached again. Another friend in tow. Kate grinned. You've been jiving all day, Dimple. Kate had a feeling her friend would need more than a foot rub. 
by nightfall, her joints would be screaming for a long soak in the Hobo Hot Springs over in Saratoga. God outdid himself this morning. Dimple spun a slow motion circle, all the while waving her arms above her head. The angels are dancing and shouting at the top of their lungs. Why shouldn't I? Exhausted, sunburned, and haunted by a sense of being watched, Kate nevertheless enjoyed her first rodeo with her Whispering Pines friends. She cheered for Clint and Manuel, who won second in team calf roping, and for Bethany, who barrel-raced on honey. She laughed when big, bald Fletcher, acting as the rodeo clown, soaked Pastor Chuck with a water gun, and gasped when Mike was thrown from a snorting, bucking bull. While bullfighters diverted the bull, Fletcher grabbed Mike's hat from the arena floor and helped him to his feet. The crowd applauded and shouted words of encouragement. Later, as the sun dipped below the mountain, Laura spread a blanket on the grass in front of the grandstands and invited Kate to sit with her and Dimple and Judith. Mike's band played patriotic songs on a small stage while the ever-growing crowd waited for the fireworks to begin. Drained by all that had gone on during the busy day, Kate had been relieved to learn the band didn't need her for the evening performance. She rested her chin on her knee, tracing the quilt stitching with her finger. What an incredible Fourth of July she'd experienced, her first summer out of prison. Despite Aunt Judith's incessant complaints and Mike's indifferent attitude, she had much to celebrate. But still, there was that nagging feeling. She shifted to inspect the stands behind them. No one appeared to notice her. Readjusting her position, she told herself to relax. The authorities had probably found Ramsey by now. According to the sheriff, he was in bad shape and couldn't get far. Any of you ladies care for something from the concession stand? Laura got to her feet. I'm buying. Vicious beasts, Judith slapped at the mosquito on her arm. They're determined to eat me alive. She sprayed herself. Again. Large diet Pepsi with chipped ice. No cubes or chunks. Fanning away the repellent, Laura said, I'll see what I can do. Same for me, please, Dimple spoke with far less energy than she'd exhibited earlier. Any shape of ice will do. I'll help you carry the drinks. Using her crutches, Kate pulled herself upright. On crutches? I'll only use one. That'll leave a hand free. Near the concession stand, Kate saw a light-haired man leaning against a light pole. He wore sunglasses, although the sky was now dark enough the field lights were on. Odd. But then, the world was filled with odd people, including herself. Still, something about the man unsettled her. She joined the concession line, Laura at her side. You were amazing today, Laura said. I was so proud of you. It wasn't me. Kate gave her a rueful smile. As you now know, I've tried all summer to hide my past. It took God to make me spill my guts in front of everybody. A blast erupted from the arena and the lights clicked off. Kate jerked, nearly losing her balance. The sky exploded with a shower of color accompanied by frenetic pops and bangs. The crowd cheered. She glanced at the light pole. The man with the sunglasses was God. Another boom filled the air and shook the ground. Kate smelled brute aftershave and looked over her shoulder. The man was now close enough to touch. Sparkles from the latest explosion shimmered on his sunglasses. He slid the glasses down. 
and her heart sunk. Ramsey. He must have recovered from his injury. She tightened her grip on the crutch, preparing to defend herself. But he grabbed Laura's arm instead of hers, behind the stands now. Laura gaped at him. What? Light flashed off the knife he pressed against her back. Kate whispered, Do what he says, Laura. Blackness descended again. Ramsey's voice hissed in her ear. Straight ahead to the parking lot. Any false moves? Your friend here gets a stab in the kidney. Barely able to see in the dim light, Kate hobbled around the grandstands. Behind the bleachers, a white, whispering pines banner caught her eye. The ranch's parade truck with the bison calves in the rear. If Laura jumped inside, she could lock the door and... Keep moving, Nielsen. Kate swung around. This is between you and me. Let her go. The calves bawled and skittered about the small pen. Manure odors mingled with the burnt sulfur smell that flooded the air. She's my insurance, Ramsey sneered. You take off, she'll pay. Another detonation and an eruption of color. The knife, now at Laura's throat, glittered with green spangles. Cherry, please, Kate pleaded. Somehow she had to get the knife out of his hand. I'll be pleased when... And only when you and me are back in Pittsburgh, where we belong. He swiveled toward the stomping, bellowing bison. Shut up! Laura rasped. Kate, don't! The light fizzled. Mike played along with the band beneath a brilliant, booming sky, all the while wondering how his bison calves were handling the noise. He should have driven them home before the show. They had to be traumatized worse by the detonations than they'd been by the parade noise. But he'd been so caught up in the events of the day, he hadn't thought about them, except to feed and water the pair and move them into the shade of the stands. What happened to Mom and Kate? He eyed the blanket where Dimple lay on her back, and Aunt Duda sat ramrod straight. His mom loved fireworks. It wasn't like her to miss out. Could be she was watching from somewhere else. He strummed the final chords of God Bless America, doubting anyone could hear, but that's what the committee had asked the band to do, play through the fireworks and conclude the evening with the national anthem. Let her go, Kate leaned on her crutch. I'll do whatever you want, Laura moaned. No, Kate, don't. Shut up, Ramsey shoved her aside. You'd better not be playing games with me, Nielsen. The calves moaned and trampled the truck bed. Kate understood their fear. You're right, Jerry, she switched to her street voice. I've had enough cowboys and Indians. Let's go home. She'd find a way to escape and call the Carbon County Sheriff later to explain her actions. Maybe he'd understand. Another flare of light erupted above them. Kate, Laura whispered, don't return to your old life. Ramsey swore, swung around and slugged Laura. She crumpled to the ground. Kate stepped toward the motionless woman, but Ramsey grabbed her from behind, and the knife scratched at her own throat. An umbrella of dripping white light glinted off the cars in the parking lot. Brandishing the knife before her eyes, he placed his mouth against her ear. Recognize this, darling? He flipped the knife from side to side in the waning glow. You stole it from my cabin, he snickered. She shuddered. Not me, darling. It was a gift from a friend but it's come in handy a time or two. Which reminds me, I have a little chore to do before we exit Podunkville. 
He yanked her toward the truck. Kate glanced at Laura, who remained prostrate on the ground. Help her, God. A series of flares illumined the calves, which quieted with their approach and stuck their nose between the boards. Kate wondered if they were seeking comfort or food. Knifed one of these at that dumb dude ranch, he pointed with a knife at the bison. Now I'll rid the world of two more stupid beasts. You used my knife to kill Trudy? Kate couldn't control the anguish in her voice. You're a monster! Reaching between the slats, he grabbed a calf's front leg. You're the monster who killed my baby. She flinched. An extra loud explosion rattled the truck, and the bison broke from Ramsey's grasp. Spewing expletives, he mounted the side of the truck. The calves squealed, hurling their bodies to the other side. This was her chance to escape, to help Laura. But the calves, a scream pierced the din. In the name of Jesus! Kate heard a whack, followed by a howl and a thump. Steadying herself with one hand on the cab and the other grasping her crutch, she peered into the pyrotechnic twilight, breathing gunpowder and dung. Another boom. She sneezed again and again. The bison bellowed. White light flared. Ramsay was on the ground. Dimple stood above him, Kate's other crutch in her hands. He jumped to his feet, ripped away the crutch, and slammed her against the truck. Stop! Kate flung herself at Ramsey. Don't hurt her! When the sky brightened enough to see again, Mike glanced at the quilt and saw only his aunt. Something was wrong. He slid the guitar strap over his head, plunked his instrument onto its stand, and hurried to Judith. The band could manage without him. She reached for his hand. Help me up. Where are the others? With effort, he pulled her to her feet. Well... She snorted. They evidently had better things to do than keep me on the mosquitoes' company. Did they say where they were going? He picked up her cane and handed it to her. Laura and Kate were supposed to bring drinks before the fireworks started, but here I sit, dying of thirst. I'm surprised I haven't keeled over from dehydration. How about Dimple? Where did she go? I have no idea, Judith sighed and leaned on the cane. She grabbed the crutch Kate left behind and nearly broke my eardrum, screaming something about someone needing her. Mike frowned. That someone had to be either his mom or Kate. Or both. Which direction? Dragging information out of his aunt was like pulling nails from old boards. She pointed toward the parking lot and started to say something, but he took off, sprinting through the light of a brilliant blast. <laughs> I'm going to read from Roger Pond's book, Things That Go Bad in the Night, Tales from a Country Kid. This essay is called How to Burp a Cow. Where is the greenhouse effect when you need it? Last year, the country's midsection suffered one of the driest years ever, and crops baked through the summer. The news media said it was the greenhouse effect. All of that pollution is heating up the earth. And it's only a matter of time until we will be plowing the corn belt with camels. This spring, the eastern corn belt was plagued with cool weather and floods. A man with an ark was reportedly bidding on livestock in Kentucky. Now I ask you, 
whatever happened to the greenhouse effect. Last fall, I read that forest fires in California produced so much smoke, a little town called Happy Camp was fogged in for weeks, during which time the temperature dropped 20 degrees below normal. The scientist featured in the story says this gives credence to the nuclear winter theory. Too much smoke in the atmosphere shuts out the sun's rays, causing a cooling effect. Now, the New York Times News Service reports German scientists have learned that savannah fires in Africa are causing both global warming and acid rain. They say methane and carbon dioxide released from man-made fires may be contributing to the greenhouse effect. A few months ago, I read that a fellow in Colorado was studying the amount of gas given off by a cow. He concluded belching cows are a major contributor to global warming. Yesterday, my wife read a letter to the editor in an urban newspaper in which a lady writes that South American farmers are burning primeval forests to create more grazing land. The letter writer insinuated the folks who eat beef are contributing to this destruction. At first glance, these stories may seem unrelated, but the steady eye will see a pattern. Each is a tale of gloom perpetrated by someone who doesn't have anything more urgent to worry about. These people should have some kids or livestock to occupy their time. Then if we look closely, we'll see these problems are actually solving themselves. According to the papers, the greenhouse effect and nuclear winter theories offset each other. One theory causes some months to be cold, and the other causes particular months to be warm. Weather records will show these trends have already begun. We can also see the cow belching specialist and the lady who doesn't like beef have a few rocks in their blender. First, anyone who has been around cows will tell you being belched at isn't the worst thing that can happen. Second, it's true South American farmers are creating more smoke and more cow. This may increase the gas load in the atmosphere. On the other hand, studies have shown the more folks we have eating beef, the fewer we have eating beans. I rest my case. We're going to finish off with several kid chuckles. At this time, uh, Lisa would have been about eight, Toby six, and Brady three. Brady brought his plate into the kitchen and said, Here's a man who needs more food. When I said to Toby, I've lost my patience with you, he asked, When do you think you'll find them again? <laughs> Brady, with a sore throat, said, My swallow is having trouble. Elisa said she finds it more pleasant to sleep with Brady than with Toby. <laughs> Toby, around Christmas time, said, I wonder what we can give God for his birthday. It would have to be something that floats pretty high. And one more. At a restaurant, I asked Steve to grab a waitress. Toby waited a few seconds, then he said, She might not like it if he does that to her. <laughs> and so we'll end with that. Hope that grabs your funny bone, and that's all for now. Thanks for listening. Until next time, happy reading.
Thank you for listening to Let Me Tell You a Story. Please email your comments, suggestions, and submissions to story at beckyliles.com. Steve and Becky like to hear your thoughts, and they encourage authors to send stories and other short prose and poetry for them to read on the podcast. You can learn more about Becky's books by visiting beckyliles.com or by searching for her books online. Her nonfiction titles can be found under the name Becky Lyles and her fiction under Rebecca Carrie Lyles. All of her books are available in both print and ebook formats. Winds of Wyoming and Winds of Freedom are also offered in audio format online. That's all for now. Tune in next time to enjoy a fresh assortment of stories on Let Me Tell You a Story.